Our reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage. I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Please be seated. Think of um, what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthians, what God is saying to us in that portion of his word where he reminds those who are given this salvation that is grasped by faith are given a new life, lived out with a, with, with a new heart, a born-again heart, a heart that truly loves God and desires to live for God. And Paul says, in every believer, there is this desire to live in a manner that is well-pleasing to the Lord. And then then he encourages the believer to to look ahead, to to look beyond just the the day in and day out of, of this life, and think deep thoughts about eternity. And as we turn to, to Matthew's gospel once again, the, the last um, few verses of Matthew 10, um, we're reminded of this need that we have and this, this hope that we're given as those who live toward the finish line. Matthew 10, verse 40, Jesus says, he who receives you, my disciples, receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Repeatedly, Jesus speaks of this reward. 
And, and he culminates this teaching in Matthew 10. This, remember, this is the, the, the lengthiest teaching of the Lord in the Gospels about discipleship. And, and he has spent most of his words in this teaching cautioning his disciples, his first followers, that their loyalty to him will cost them by earthly measure. Salvation is all of grace. It's freely given. Amen. And yet there, there is a, a consequence that the child of God, the believer, the follower of Jesus feels and experiences as he or she represents Jesus in a world that hates Jesus. You're, you're, you're going to feel the weight of that. And so Jesus wants his first followers to know that as they live out their days as his messengers, they, their lives might well be fraught with hardship and even hatred toward them. The apostles, the, the 12, like, like all disciples, are those sent out into a lost world with the gospel. Jesus says in, in verse 16 of Matthew 10, as sheep in the midst of wolves. I mean, just think of the image there. The king's messengers can expect to be opposed and, and they can expect to be oppressed by, even by religious people, even by government, even immediate family members may well turn their backs on those who embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. And yet, what has the king, Jesus, been saying all along in Matthew 10? He's been saying, don't, don't worry, it will be this way, and I'm with you. And he says, do not fear them. Don't shrink back. This cross that you bear, this pain that comes at times from simply identifying with me in a world that hates me, says Jesus, that cross is a mere reflection of my own, the cross of shame I bore for you. And were it not for those verses that we just read, 40, 41, and 42, we might think that the life we live as the king's messengers, the king's followers and ambassadors is only one of tribulation. And it's, it's all negative in that sense. But that's not true at all, is it? How many of you know the happiest people on the planet are those who know they are right with God? That those who know their sins are forgiven. Those who know they live every day a day closer to a blessed eternity in which Jesus promises to not only be with his people personally, but that they will be together as his family. And he says in this text this morning that they will be rewarded by him personally. That's our finish line. Yeah, you do swim upstream as a disciple of Jesus in this world. You, you are opposed, perhaps, disregarded, shamed in some of your relationships, but we, we do so knowing that there is reward. And then Jesus says, look, one of the rewards you need to be aware of is that there are those who will actually turn to faith in Christ. But look at verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Don't, don't miss the, the implication of that. Will they all reject? 
No, says the Lord. In God's economy, there are some who will receive Christ. Disciples proclaim Christ believing God is actually saving people by his gospel. So don't listen to the whisper of the enemy or, or our own you know, fallenness, our own insecurity, thinking um, this doesn't matter. This gospel proclamation that we do as his ambassadors in the workplace, in our families, you know, that sort of thing. This is God's chosen means of, of heralding the good news of Jesus Christ. And how many of you know God is actually saving people? Parents, listen, we, we speak and live out the gospel in our homes, um, believing this is God's means of bringing salvation to our family members. Of course that's in his hands. Of course that happens according to his grace and his infinite wisdom, but his, is this not a, a humbling thing, but, but yet a glorious thing that his chosen means uh, it, it involves using his messengers? What a, what a thrill this is. We proclaim the gospel in our community. Uh, we function as salt and light in, in a community that is, that is rotting with sin. Have you noticed this? That that is steeped in the darkness of rebellion against God, and yet we do so believing that um, according to his infinite wisdom, God is actually saving people. Do you believe this? That's what Paul means when he says to the Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Notice in verse 40 of Matthew 10, the word receive. Eight times in those two verses, 40 and 41, Jesus uses this word receives. If you're a youngster and you've got your listening guide in front of you, see if you can find all eight times that word is mentioned. I, I think if, a, if Jesus says something eight times, it, it must be kind of important. This word receives, re, re, it speaks of a, a warm welcome. It, it speaks of a, a sincere, glad reception of Christ. And, it, and, it, and it, it is echoed, this reception of Christ, by the receiving of his messengers. How many of you know people who are saved love other Christians? Have you heard that before? John the Apostle says in his gospel, one of the, one of the, the marks of someone who, who doesn't know the Lord is they have no love for the saints. They have no love for the brethren. Saved people love other saved people. God has poured his love into his redeemed ones so that they might love one another. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus is using an expression that his first followers would have been much more familiar with, the, the law of the, the ambassador or the law of the emissary. And it, and it simply goes like this. The emissary of a king is as the king himself. Uh, in the ancient world, you honored a king by the way you honored and received the king's ambassadors, the king's messengers. And, and you dishonored a king when you dishonored that king's ambassadors. 
We'll see this again later in Matthew's gospel. What is Jesus saying then to his first disciples, his first messengers? He's saying, you know, not everyone will hate you or cast you off. Don't think that. You need to be prepared for that, but, but, but believe that, you know, some, some will grab a hold of you with a warm welcome because they believe the message of the king. And out of gratitude to the king, out of, out of love toward God and his gospel, you'll be received. And so this, this word received um, is so much more than just a polite response. Um, it implies a believing of the message of the king, receiving the king himself. I pray this morning that you are. Do you mind being encouraged? I pray that you're encouraged. Does not the scripture say that your, your labor in the Lord is not in vain? What a reward it is to, to, to be able to be on the front lines of seeing the grace of God at work in bringing salvation into another soul. Wow, how, how blessed we are. So stay the course, says Jesus. You know, persevere in, in God's strength. Um, some will believe. I remember many, many years ago um, when I was in, in newspapers, this was back when people read newspapers, um, there was a coworker of mine who um, was just really close to the things of God, just close to the gospel. And um, for over the course of a few years, there were... Um, what, I, what from my standpoint seemed like dry runs, you know, trying to, trying to share the, the, the message of God's love with this coworker. He was a photographer, and he just seemed very closed. And, and I remember him, him coming to me one day to, le, to let me know that he was moving. He was moving to Texas. There's, I've heard there's Christians there too. But anyway, I, and, and, I, and I felt so downcast about, you know, all the, um, you know, it didn't work. I had a totally you know, kind of selfish mindset about it. Um, but, but the Lord just put it on my heart to hand him one of those blue New Testaments that we hand out to people here. And I said, hey, just read the Gospel of John. And he gave me a very polite response and yeah, yeah, yeah. And off he went. Uh, that's, that, I thought that was the last I would see of this fellow. Um, and uh, years later, I'm sitting in a Sunday school class at, at another church and um, here comes this photographer, Craig Buck. Um, that's actually his name, Craig Buck. And uh, I, totally out of context, what is this guy doing here? A big smile on his face, and he said, you know what? I, I met Jesus. I, I read John's gospel, and I just figured you should know that. And, and my wife is saved, and my kids are saved, and I'm blessed to be a deacon in my church, and I just, I just wanted to say uh, praise God and thanks for the Bible. And I, and I can't tell you, uh, I didn't do anything. None of the stuff I was trying to do, you know, noodling through over those years to share Christ with him were, were, were really um, mine to measure. That's, that's God's to measure. But there's power in his word. There's power in his gospel. And, and what a reward it is when he blesses us in that way, when others receive the word and receive the living word, Jesus, and therefore enter into God's family and become receivers of other disciples. Um, 
we are being reminded in this passage, though, that the way we receive other disciples ourselves matters to God. Do you, do you see that in the text? The, the, the way we welcome and show hospitality to other believers um, matters to God. It, it's as if we're welcoming the king himself into our homes. It, it's as if we're showing kindness to King Jesus himself when he gives us that grace to show that kindness. In fact, it's a, it's a direct reflection of our heart attitude toward our king, how we receive others who are his followers. And I, and I want to just show you, are you still listening? I want to just show you a, a quick example of the, those sort of two, two sides of receiving. Um, in Acts 16, we, we read of this Greek businesswoman, Lydia. You, you've heard of Lydia and, and by God's grace, she had her heart open to the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, the, the things that were spoken to her by uh, the Apostle Paul and, and others. And the scripture says, Lydia received the message and therefore Lydia received the messengers. And in, in verse 15 of Acts 16, it says this, and when Lydia and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And then says Luke, she prevailed upon us. In other words, she was relentless in this. She embraced, she received the messengers because she had received the messengers king. This is how Christians relate to one another. Welcoming Christ as her savior resulted in her welcoming his messengers. And Jesus wanted his apostles, his, his first followers, and he wants us to know um, this morning. It's, it's not all negative. Don't think that. After the first 39 verses of Matthew 10, um, realize that there is this wonderful reward of grace that the Lord does allow his people to see however he ordains that he brings salvation via his gospel. How, how gracious is our God to save us, to, to, to empower us as his messengers? Any capability we have is God-given. It's not native to us. It's a work of the Spirit. But then he lets us see uh, that miracle of his saving work in, in the lives of others. I, I don't have to tell you, um, some of you are parents, and uh, many of you have had parents, and you, and you know, that'll come to you later, um, you, you, you know the joy of a child turning to faith in Christ. You didn't do that, but the Lord sure let you be one of his messengers, didn't he? Wow, what, what a reward of grace. 3 John 3, 4 says this, I have no greater joy than this, uh, th than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And John the Apostle, of course, is speaking of his spiritual children, those who had welcomed King Jesus, received his salvation, uh, but, but they eagerly embraced the messenger, their pastor John, uh, the Apostle, uh, because this is God's economy. But, but, but I want you to notice with me in verse 41, we begin to see that this divine reward uh, reaches far beyond uh, what is only experienced in this life. 
And that's what, I, what, that's what I meant earlier when I spoke of the finish line. Do, do you ever think of the finish line? I mean, do you ever think of, of the glory that is ahead for you as a child of God? It turns out you're meant to. Yeah, people will tell you, well, you know, some of you Christians, you're so um, heavenly-minded, you're just no earthly good. And, and we know what they mean by that. What a special thought that is, right? Um, <laughs> But listen, biblically speaking, if you are not heavenly minded, how will you be any earthly good? That's what Jesus is talking about here to his first followers. He says in verse 41, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Think of the scandal of God's grace that he would save you, that he would do everything necessary to make you right with himself in the work of Christ. You, you apprehend that not by doing stuff, but, but by a faith that God himself has given to you. You grab hold of it, and then he says, you know what? Even when you help um, uh, one of my prophets, even when you, you, you come alongside uh, and encourage another righteous person, someone declared righteous through the work of Christ, um, uh, I'll reward you the way I reward them. And you think, well, how, how fair is that? How many of you are, are, are glad this morning God doesn't do fair? Grace isn't about fair. We don't deserve anything from God. We don't earn anything from God. And yet he is so gracious God rewards those who show kindness and, and, and give assistance to any of his messengers, any of his righteous ones, as if we're doing the work of those messengers ourselves. And I don't know about you, friends, but I, ju I just read a verse like verse 41, and I just, I just think, how, how gracious is my Savior? How kind is my King that he would treat us in such a way. And in promising reward to his followers, he, he lets us know that nothing is too small or unimportant by his measure. Don't, don't, don't think that. He, uh, Jesus moves from the apostle, the, then the prophet, and then simply a righteous person. In other words, in, in, in a human economy, you're, you're kind of moving down to less and less prominence among people, and yet in God's economy, we're being told our king regards the receiving of any of his disciples as receiving him, as welcoming him. All gain reward. How different this is. Listen, how different this is from our economy where we have pecking orders for people and, we, and where we have... Um, um, Idols, even in Christendom, where we elevate some people and, and not so much other people. Or maybe we see, I mean, not us, but other Christians, right? Not us. It's probably the second service people, isn't it? And so you pray for them. But listen, that's part of our fallen nature, this whole pecking order thing. How many of you are glad this morning that God doesn't do that? In fact, James 2 tells us this. If you show partiality, you are committing sin. 
So Jesus says in verse 42 of Matthew 10, whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Remember, in the scripture, a person's name represents the whole person. Those who do something as routine, expected, insignificant by human measure as giving another disciple so much as a, a cup of water to drink, Jesus says, will be rewarded mightily one day. That cup of cold water, you, you don't even have to do the mental calculus of thinking, well, okay, may, maybe these people knew all about deserts and, and maybe in a desert water is scarce and all that sort of thing. And so really a cup of cold water is, is, is invaluable. It's, it's not to do with that. Jesus is, is reminding his disciples that, uh, you know, the poorest of the poor can, could offer somebody a cup of water. It was the least thing any person could do in showing welcome, in showing hospitality to another disciple. And Jesus says, you know, when that, when that is done for one of my people, even, even the least among them, um, I, will, I will reward that for eternity. So you sit here this morning and you think, you know, I've never really considered anything I do for the Lord to be all that significant, and and it really doesn't seem like anybody sees it a whole lot. And and um, you know, I'm not even sure anybody's even aware of it. Um, be encouraged this morning, friend. Jesus is saying, I see it. I I, I see your heart. And it doesn't matter a hill of beans whether anybody else sees it or not. What is seen by your king is loved by your king because he loves you. And he says, I'll reward you one day for all eternity. What an encouragement to disciples who have been told to count the cost of their discipleship. Yes, serving the Lord is arduous at times. It might cost you your job. It might cost you your relationship with that family member. It might make your Thanksgiving dinner, um, what's the word, interesting. (laughs) Let's just leave it there. The death of self is often painful. And we will feel the community's rejection. And we're being reminded this morning that it's not so much a rejection of us personally who function as salt and light, as messengers for the king. It's a rejection of Christ himself. Remember that from last week. The, why do the nations rage, says Psalm 2. Why do the people plot vain things? They will not have this man who is God rule over them. how it must have encouraged these apostles to to be reminded that anything said or done out of love and obedience for Jesus links them to him and his mission and, and therefore has eternal significance. Eternal significance. Now I'm gonna pause here, not to end the sermon, so I don't think that. 
That's not what's happening. Uh, but, but I do want us to take just a little detour, a little excursus on this matter of divine reward. But, and I think you'll see that it comes out of this text, and, and yet the, this, this business of eternal reward is all over your Bible. It's really hard to miss. And, and we're meant to realize this morning that our King Jesus notices everything done for him. Don't miss that. And he delights to reward each of his loyal followers. Um, already in Matthew's gospel, for example, Jesus has made this very plain. He says in the Beatitudes, for example, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. In the same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and so here again in Matthew 10, uh, again, this, this lengthiest teaching in the Gospels from Jesus about discipleship, uh, Jesus returns to this theme of reward. All believers, all disciples are meant to live toward eternity's reward. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I, I thought heaven itself was the reward. It is. I, th I thought just, just being a part of the kingdom, the, the kingdom in its fullness, the, the new heaven and the new earth in the presence of my king, in the, in the presence of Jesus is the reward. It is, for sure. But how many of you know that the gospel is better news than most of us think it is? Don't think of it as a get out of hell free card. Don't do that. The life of loyalty to the king that is enabled by him in the first place is also a life he promises to reward for all eternity. Did you know that? Did you ever think about that? What you do with your life as a believer this week has eternal consequences. Listen again to the scripture that Pastor Scott read, 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says, we also have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. Why, Paul? Why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. And, and, and you're thinking to yourself, perhaps, you mean Christians too? will be judged? Yes. But not for sin. How many of you know the scripture says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? No, this is, this is a judgment for reward. This is graduation day. This is the finish line. Those he has saved by his grace, he promises to reward with even more grace for all eternity. 
What a scandal is this gospel. How deep is God's love for his children? Eternal destiny then is not determined at this judgment seat of Christ, the, 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 the Bema seat judgment. Some of you have heard of that before. It's, it's, it's the, the image of the, the Olympic Games and where the, uh, the, those who, who ran the race received their crowns. It's a, it's a judgment for reward, for blessing, eternal reward. And, and notice with me that Paul tells the Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And you think, well, no, I, I want a Christianity where that's not so. There isn't one. Every individual who is in Christ will have his, will have her own reward from the king. No one misses out, in other words. You don't have to worry about that. And again, you might be thinking, but, but you know, I feel, I feel so insignificant compared to some of the other believers I know. And I see the things that God allows them to do. And how many of you know that human beings are not going to be the measure of this? It's going to be the only perfect human who is also God, God the Son, Jesus himself, who measures and then meets out these rewards. Think of, think of the woman in Scripture, once a prostitute, until she meets Jesus, and she's radically saved by his grace, and, and she washes the Savior's feet with her tears and, and wipes his feet with her hair. Um, think, think of the little boy who, who offered his lunch to the Lord. It was all he had for his stomach that day. And yet that boy, unnamed in Scripture, gladly gave it simply for love's sake. Think, think of David, not, not David the king, but, but David the, the, the young man before he became king, um, playing the harp to soothe the, the, the vexed soul of, of King Saul. Um, how many of you know the hardest instrument to play in life is second fiddle? And da David knew all about that early on. He, he was the king's armor bearer. He, he just carried the stuff. What mattered to God was not the seemingly ordinary, menial activities, but the heart of devotion toward Yahweh. David did those things gladly out of, out of a heart of loyalty to God. And Jesus says, hey, I delight to reward my faithful ones. Back in Matthew 10, Jesus pre proclaims these principles of eternal reward as an encouragement to the disciples whose, whose mission for him does have its dangers, does have its earthly costs. He says, whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. This divine reward then is personal to you. Don't take it from me, just see it in the text. Whoever. How gracious is your king. You see, you, you mean to tell me that God saves me by his grace. I don't do that myself. He gives me the ability to serve him 
by his grace. I don't work that up myself. And then he actually gives me a reward of grace for doing what he's enabled me to do. Yeah. You think God loves you. Notice also in the text, this divine reward is is all-inclusive. Jesus doesn't miss anything. Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water. Nobody saw you give that cup of cold water. Maybe the person who grabbed it from you didn't even know it was you. The point is what? The, The seemingly insignificant by human measure is no insignificance to your king. I wonder if there's a mom um, taking care of little kids at home this morning. Well, you're here this morning, but you know what I mean. Um, who, 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 who is helped by that encouragement? Your king and savior sees everything. Jesus makes clear in the Sermon on the Mount that what is judged is not the activity but the motive behind it, the motive behind it. He he said in in chapter 6, verse 1, beware of doing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. If your motive is to be seen, to be noticed, think of what Jesus is saying. Well, you you have your reward. You got noticed. You got seen. Um, that's, that's, That's a fleeting reward if you want to look at it that way. And what a hollow gratification that would be in light of eternity. How much the better simply to be motivated by love toward God. Jesus says, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The secret place of your own heart where motives are kept, the father sees. Think of, for example, the widow's might. Motive, not, not magnitude. Or think, if you want to look at it in the, in the negative sense, uh, what Jesus had said in Matthew 7. Didn't, didn't he say, hey, m- many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Didn't we do this and that and the other thing in your name? And Jesus says, uh, depart from me. I never knew you. In other words, I see your heart. But, but here in Matthew 10, the tail end of it, Jesus speaks of um, his, his loyal ones, his, his first followers. Um, you know, we have um, in our garage, among other things, a box that is almost full of our son's old BMX trophies. When, when he was a youngster, he raced BMX bikes, and everybody got a trophy. It was, it was astounding. And so we, we, we just collected, we just amassed a bunch of, of trophies, and, and they were so precious to him at the time. But, you know, there's a reason they're in our garage. <laughs> he, he doesn't care about them now, and he won't even take them home. Um, and, and you might think, well, is that, is that what Jesus is talking about? Is it that, that kind of a reward? No, no, this divine reward is not only personal to you and all-inclusive, it's, it's, it's actually eternal. Your life in Christ is eternal. And so your heavenly reward is eternal. Well, listen to Matthew 19. 
Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive 100 times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and, and the last will be first. This reward from your king is enduring. Many of you know the story of the missionary Jim Elliot. And it, it, it was, or maybe you're familiar with the writings of his wife, uh, Elizabeth, but Jim Elliot is the one who famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Why cling to time and talent and treasure um, only to spend it on the things of this life, only to spend it on self, if you will, uh, when any time, talent, treasure, God graciously enables you to have a stewardship of and put into service for him, uh, it will be rewarded for all eternity. I wonder if that's what Jesus meant when he said, store up your treasure in heaven. Eliot, as you might know, was killed by the very tribesmen he sought to proclaim the gospel to. And, and incredibly, um, after he and four other missionaries were, were martyred, um, his wife Elizabeth and others uh, continued their ministry to that tribe. Can you imagine that? Um, and today, by God's grace, hundreds of those tribal members, not, not the majority, but hundreds of those tribal members in Ecuador have come to faith in Christ. What a, what a reward that is. And it's an eternal reward. Let me just end with this. And by that, I mean reasonably soon. Um, why, why, why do you suppose Jesus mentions this, this reward business at the very end of this discourse on discipleship, during which he has mostly talked about the costs of loyalty to him? Let me, let me just say, based on verse 42... He says, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. In other words, this, don't doubt this. This divine reward is meant to be a motivation. God is not stingy with his children. Let me just give you a quick example. Uh, about 150 years before Eliot was martyred, um, Jim Eliot, there, there was another American missionary, a guy named Adderall, Adoniram Judson, that's a hard first name to say, Adoniram Judson, he served in Burma, uh, what is now known as Myanmar, and um, he and his wife Anne only saw 18 converts um, in the first 12 years they served in Burma. Uh, they lost two of their children um, not long after they began that ministry and their, and their family began to grow. When the war broke out between Britain and Burma, you know, resulting eventually in independence, Judson was arrested because he was a white guy. And people just figured any white people were, were therefore traitors. And he, he suffered uh, near starvation and was placed in irons. And the, you know, they hung him upside down by his feet. And that just horrible things. His wife was so stressed out by all that was happening that she developed some health problems, died in 1826. And my point is that quitting that work would have been understandable. 
I mean, if you only looked at life pragmatically, how many of us do that? This is what I do because it makes sense. This is what I do because I think it's going to pay off. If you, if you only lived life pragmatically, you would even have other Christians saying, yeah, you should just bag it. You, you should just quit. Doubting God's love for them in, in their weak moments might have been understandable. Assuming they were not in his will because of their circumstances might have been understandable. How many of you have been down that road? where you, if, It's really difficult, so it must not have been the will of God. Really? And it was Judson who said this. It is too late to mend the days that are past, but the future is in our power. Let us then each morning resolve to spend the day into eternity in such garb as we shall wish to wear forever. I mean, there's a guy who, who knew what it was to live toward eternity, to live for this reward of grace. I will end with this. It, it begs the question to us, doesn't it? Well, what is the reward? And I don't know about you, but it seems to me that whenever we think of of the new heaven and the new earth, or whenever we just think of heaven, it, it, do, do you find that it's impossible to, to even imagine heaven given our fallen nature? I mean, we can't even think of heaven without being sort of self-gratifying in that sense. I can't tell you how many times I have heard um, at funerals, for example, you know, the, oh, he's, just think of the golf course he's enjoying now. You know, just think, oh, they're, they're, that, that fishing hole will never run out of fish, you know, that, that sort of thing. And we mean well by that, but it's, it's, a, it, it's a bunch of silliness. I mean, it's a, it's a caricature, really. Um, there, there's a mystery to this. But that doesn't mean we can't know anything about it. The Scripture says that this reward involves each of us receiving our own commendation from God. Wow. To the Romans and the Corinthians, Paul refers to a glory reserved for the saints in heaven. Later in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will speak uh, in parables alluding to authority and dominion in the new heaven and the new earth. Could it be that our king who enables us to be responsible stewards of just a little in this life will give us so much greater opportunity to bring him glory once we've crossed the finish line. It turns out we're meant to think of this stuff. It turns out this is meant to put some wind in your sails when you're hard-pressed. What you do with your life today has eternal consequences. Jesus says this, this is toward the end of your Bible. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to his work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace to think that you graciously save us with a faith that you graciously give us, and then you indwell us by your spirit and enable us to serve you with a new heart that loves you. And Lord, to think that as we embrace those gifts that you prepared beforehand for us to walk in, you reward even that. 
You are, you are so kind, Lord. I pray that you would use this truth to encourage us as your people in the days and weeks and even years ahead as we serve as your ambassadors in a world that so often views us with disfavor because they are yet in rebellion against you. We ask you this, Jesus, for your namesake.